As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. There aren't clear guidelines about any of it. What kind of mask you can, what kind of mask you can't, you should, shouldn't. You know, face shield, no face shield, face shield, and a mask. I would want someone to wear the best mask that they have, scientifically speaking. We really recommend that um, people would continue to wear their cloth face coverings. The cloth face covering is not going to protect you as well as an N95 mask. We would really, you know, like to preserve that supply of N95 respirators for the healthcare system where possible. It makes no sense to me to tell someone you can't wear one because it's better protection. It's the first day of school for some, the first week of school for others, and as many of those students head back to physical classrooms, safety will be a major assignment. Some teachers are worried about the risk, so why is one local school district telling them not to wear the best face mask on the market? From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here once again with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda. Hi, Brian. We are recording this episode on Tuesday morning, September 1st. For thousands of children across Wisconsin, this is the first day of school in what is sure to be the most unusual school year, at least in our lifetimes. Many of the state's largest school districts are opening with strictly online instruction. Others are following a hybrid model that combines in-person and online classes. And then there are some, especially private schools or schools in rural communities, that plan to send everyone back to the classroom. And of course, that means a lot of teachers are headed right back to the front lines of the pandemic, where they will be spending long hours in the same rooms around the same students every day or a couple of days a week. Safety is a very real concern. One of the ways those schools plan to mitigate the risk of spreading COVID-19 is to have fewer students in the building each day, particularly those following the hybrid models. That allows them to space desks farther apart. Some schools won't allow students to use lockers in hopes of avoiding large crowds congregating in the hallways. And of course, both students and staff members will be required in many of those districts, if not all, to wear face masks. Now, when we say face masks, Brian, that that term means different things to different people. So can you take us through the different kinds of face masks that we've seen people wearing over the last few months, but that we can expect people to see in school to wear in schools? Well, obviously, ever since Governor Evers issued the statewide mandate for mask wearing uh, in you know, public spaces, commercial spaces, things like that. We've everyone has had to deal with. All right, what's the best thing to wear? And of course, you have the the you know the high grade medical quality masks, all the way down to people who are you know uh, just finding cloth bandanas to wrap around their mouths and everything in between. And of course, we've all had to find something that works for us. And and of course cost is for many people a factor. So you're looking for something that you can use that maybe is disposable, inexpensive or reusable, but still safe. And and that could be uh, surgical masks. It could be 
the KN95 Chinese imported masks that many stores are selling. It could be cloth masks that are being sold in stores or manufactured or, or made at home. Obviously, there's a whole variety of things that people are wearing to try to prevent the spread of COVID-19 or at least to comply with rules and regulations and, and, and laws about mask wearing in public. And uh, the thing that you really have to stop and think about is with all these different types of masks, do they work and which ones work better than others? And that's something that really there hasn't been a whole lot of research and study on. And you mentioned N95 masks. We talked a lot about them at the beginning of the pandemic, at least. What are those? Because that really became a focal point of your story here. So N95 is a term that refers to the ability of a mask to filter out part certain small particles. And in this case, it would be the, the breath particles that might carry the, the virus, uh, COVID-19. Um, but the N95, that, that's a term that refers to a particular type of mask. In, in the U.S., it's uh, made by 3M. Uh, the NIOSH certified, that's the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, and they are scientifically tested and proven to filter out at least 95% of these airborne particles. And you say, well, 95%, that leaves a lot. But at that sort of micro level, that's about as good as you're going to get and still allow someone to be able to breathe. You, if you filtered out 100%, well, you wouldn't be able to get oxygen. So these N95s are sort of top of the line, and they've been around for a long time. They're often worn by, as we now know, medical professionals, for instance, nurses or doctors who are in an environment where we know there is disease, and they are trying to both protect themselves from getting that disease, but also protect maybe a patient who is in an operating room who is opened up and you don't want to infect them with your own breath. So the N95s have sort of a dual purpose in both protecting the wearer and protecting those around them. And you got a tip that a school in our viewing area wasn't even allowing teachers to bring their own N95 masks from home. Well, that's right. And if you really take a step back, you remember early in the pandemic, the reason we were talking so much about N95s is there was a shortage. This suddenly, you know, th this pandemic was suddenly sort of thrust upon us, and we found that the the country as a whole, and then hospitals uh, at, at local levels, hadn't necessarily stockpiled enough of this protective equipment to handle a massive wave of patients coming in with respiratory illnesses, and so there was real concern about. We, were we going to have enough of these nurses were being told to ration, maybe wear one mask for an entire shift or sometimes to rewear masks that they had worn in previous shifts? That's not a good situation when you're in a medical facility where you know the disease is present because you're treating patients who have it. So early on, all the talk was we need to find a way to get these this PPE, personal protective equipment, these N95s and other things to the medical professionals, to healthcare professionals on the front lines. And therefore, people outside of the healthcare community were discouraged from using them or buying them or trying to sell them to the general public for profit because we really needed as a country to get these in the hands of the people who needed them most. Since then, as the pandemic has gone on, as the peak and the surge has waned, as we've sort of settled back into uh, something that's more of just the, the spread out ongoing pandemic, we aren't experiencing the rush and the surge, hospitals are not overwhelmed, they've been able to catch up on the supply chain. And most hospitals, in fact, if you look at, across the state of Wisconsin, I believe right now out of 133 hospitals, five are reporting that they have 
no more than a week's supply of N95 face masks. And even those five hospitals likely have access to more if and when needed. They just have a week's supply on hand at the facility. So there really isn't right now a shortage of N95s in Wisconsin. And that seems to be the case in a lot of areas across the country. So because there isn't a shortage, you've got some people who've been able to get their hands on them and have their own supply. And now the teachers are being sent back to what many consider the front lines of the pandemic. They're going to be right there mixing it up every day with uh, students in school buildings for hours at a time. Some of them want to wear the best protection they can get, and they have N95s in their own home supply. They want to bring them to school. As you mentioned, Amanda, it was Whitefish Bay that sent home a memo to teachers earlier in the month of August. I believe it was August 4th that said they would not supply teachers with N95 face masks. That's no surprise. They're expensive and school districts probably don't have the funding or maybe even access to enough supply to do that. But what surprised some of the staff members there was they took it a step further and said, we will not allow you to wear N95s voluntarily. And that's when we started hearing from some teachers who reached out to us. And what was the reasoning for not allowing them? And that was really, that's the question that the teachers who reached out to us were asking. It wasn't even that they wanted to out the district or that they were angry so much as they wanted to know why. Like, what's the explanation? We're not getting one from our school district. Can you find out why they won't let us wear these? And I reached out to the Whitefish Bay School District. They said they would have uh, their buildings and grounds person who was dealing with sort of the safety aspect of back to school this year get back to me. And uh, his name is Brian Chase. Brian got back to me. But all he did was send me a copy of the very same memo the teachers had already received that told them that they cannot wear them, but not exactly why they cannot wear them. I asked for an on-camera interview. I've not received any further response from the Whitefish Bay School District. But I did reach out to the Department of Public Instruction. Uh, the State Department of Public Instruction, I asked, do you have any guidance for schools on what masks teachers should be wearing, staff members should be wearing, or what they shouldn't be wearing? And the response I got was, and as you can imagine, DPI is dealing with an awful lot right now. This was just not an issue that was on their radar. They said, we have not given any guidance to schools on what types of masks they should wear. So DPI referred me to the State Department of Health Services. And so I did have a chance to reach out to the State Department of Health Services on one of their uh, occasional uh, media calls where they were giving a, a briefing that's uh, brought, you know, that's, that's still hosted on YouTube. Um, streaming online, and they take questions from journalists. I was able to ask the question, you know, what do you think about N95s in schools, and should teachers be able to wear them? I pointed out the Whitefish Bay situation, and uh, ultimately their guidance was, we just really think teachers ought to wear cotton masks, that schools aren't the place for an N95. Did they say why? They did, and a couple, two reasons they gave. One was we need to preserve this PPE for healthcare professionals. Again, as I mentioned earlier, there had been concerns at the beginning of the pandemic about the supply, and there are still some concerns that this fall we could see a second wave, a surge that might create another shortage of that supply. They're saying we need to preserve that kind of PPE for healthcare professionals. Uh, secondly, they say that to wear an N95 properly, to, to make it the most effective, it needs to be fit tested. So in medical settings, nurses and doctors, they actually go through a fit testing process where you make sure that that mask makes 
the appropriate seal, that it's sized properly, it's fitted to the wearer, and if it seals properly, then it won't allow in the particulate matter that could infect the nurse or the doctor or the person wearing it. But as we'll get to in a moment, the scientists we've talked to say, in terms of wearing it to protect the spread of COVID-19, fit testing is not necessarily vital. In fact, the material itself is good enough that it's still going to be extremely effective at preventing the spread of airborne particles if you sneeze or cough or if you're just talking. So at least in terms of the scientists we spoke to, they say the N95s should be uh, a go-to mask if you've got them available in terms of preventing the spread of COVID-19. Well, and what strikes me is over the last several months, we've heard the administration, and you pointed this out in your story, We've heard this administration repeatedly say we're going to follow the science, right? How many times have we heard Governor Tony Evers say that? But the scientists you talk to say the science actually says that this kind of guidance doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Right. And and actually, if, if you if you just if you just leave the issue at we're worried about supply for healthcare professionals, that's one issue. But I went and asked DHS a follow up question that I just want to be clear. Are you actually saying that because of the fit testing issue that N95 masks are inferior to a cotton mask? Cotton masks are what they're recommending teachers wear. And the answer I got back was yes, because they can't be fit tested, you're better off wearing a cotton mask. That is definitely not what the science says. I interviewed a researcher at Duke University, a a doctor named Eric Westman. He's one of a team of researchers who actually took this question and decided to to devise a way to test just how good is the mask you're wearing. And their study got quite a bit of attention early in August, I believe it was published in Science Mag on August 7th, roughly, so about the first week of August. And what they did is they they devised an experiment where they uh, built a black box and then shined a laser beam through that box. They scattered the laser beam so that all the only light inside the box was this, this laser beam. At one, I believe the side of that box, they set up a cell phone camera, literally just used a smartphone to record. And they had an opening on one end where a a researcher, a test operator, could speak into the box. They did it without a mask. They did it uh, with 14 different types of masks and then compared the breath particles that passed through that scattered laser light. You could actually see the dots, the particles of breath as they passed through the light. And then they used uh, a sophisticated computer algorithm to count the number of particles over, I think, a 40-second period as each of these masks was tested, and of course, there being no mask at all. So the whole point of this, they said, was just to test the common masks people are wearing, the range from the N95 all the way up to just the the one-layer neck gaiter, and no mask at all, and see what worked the best, and could we really see a difference? There hasn't been really a lot of testing like this. From what I remember, the study got a lot of attention because of the findings about the neck gaiter, right? Absolutely. That's that's what drew the headlines all around the country. In fact, really all around the world was that the neck gaiter they tested. And there are a lot of different types of neck gaiters, which is why the study has been uh, discussed and in some cases maligned. There isn't just one type of neck gaiter. The one they happened to test was the kind that's sort of a loose one layer material that you would see people wear around their neck, almost like a decorative scarf, and then pull up over the face. It's very thin and therefore very easy to breathe through. So it's extremely comfortable. But the fact that it's very easy to breathe through 
underscores what's happening. It's also very easy to let particles come out and through it. So it doesn't do much to protect the spread. And what they actually found with the neck gator was it was breaking down the larger breath particles into more small breath particles that were still airborne and in fact made the spread potentially worse than not wearing anything at all. So that got a lot of attention that neck gaiters are worse for spreading COVID-19 and, uh, and everybody was talking all about that. What really didn't get much attention was the other 13 masks. How do they do and what was the best? So we took a look at that data to see, okay, where did the rest of these masks fall on the line? And at the other end of the spectrum, without question, it wasn't a surprise, so it didn't get a lot of attention. The N95, a fitted N95, uh, allowed very little, if anything, through by comparison to the others. So it was far and away the best mask of the 14. And how did that compare to those homemade cloth masks? Actually, one of the one of the findings of the study that they were uh, the scientists were gratified by the whole reason they did this, by the way, in the first place was they were handing out cotton masks voluntarily to the community. And they wanted to know as a university, wait a minute, is what we're giving people working? I mean, we need to know. We know N95s work. But are these cotton masks any good? And what they found is most of the cotton masks, polypropylene masks, some of the others that most of us see people wearing, that most of us are probably wearing, they did pretty well. They blocked roughly 80% of the particles. And he said, well, 80% may not sound great, but in, in, in an environment where you're trying, where you know there is disease or where you know you have ex very high risk uh, individuals, maybe 80% isn't ideal. But he said, common wearing, uh, you know, the general public wearing masks out in public or in situations where we're just trying to minimize the risk of spread. 80% is outstanding when you aren't dealing with something that is the, the high grade NIOSH certified N95. So they were happy with the results of how the cotton masks did. They, they There were three or four different types, uh, two ply, three ply, they all did reasonably within the same range in terms of the amount of uh, particles they allowed through. Certainly far better than the the fleece or even the bandanas. The other one that did not do well was just a, a single layer bandana that you might wear around your head. Wrapping that around your face was very similar to the, the neck gaiter because it's just one layer and very porous. Uh, really, the, the bottom line is if it's super easy to breathe through, it's probably not blocking much. So we have the science that says N95 is a better mask, even when it hasn't been fit tested. And we also have the data that shows that right now, healthcare providers are not in a, in a critical situation or anywhere near a critical situation when it comes to PPE. So, so where does that leave us with this situation with teacher masks? Well, and one thing I want to point out before I answer that is that the, the two masks that they tested, that the Duke researchers tested that were N95s, one, they tested a fitted N95, and that outperformed everything else. They also tested a valved N95, which is one of the N95 masks that is equipped with an exhalation valve. And, and those have been maligned, and, and the CDC has warned people not to wear those to protect against the spread of COVID-19 because they're designed to allow easy exhaling. They're designed to protect the wearer, not the people around the wearer. So when you exhale, air comes out that exhalation valve and therefore can spread the, uh, the, the COVID-19 or the viral particles. What was interesting about this study I found is that even the valved N95 
performed about as well as the cotton masks. It was in the same range as the four cotton masks that, that were tested. So while there are different variations of valved N95s, the one they tested actually did reasonably well considering all of the negative attention that it has gotten. The one thing they didn't test, they did not test an N95 without an exhalation valve that wasn't fit tested. So we don't exactly know where that would fall but it would likely fall somewhere as the as the the duke researcher I spoke to it would almost certainly fall somewhere between the fitted N95 without a valve and the unfitted N95 with a valve uh it would only make logical sense that if you didn't have a valve on the unfitted N95 it would perform better so still even an unfitted 95 N95 is going to perform better than the cotton masks and and Dr Westman said he thought it made no sense to tell people you can't wear them if you already have some, especially when you consider that if someone has their own supply of, you know, a dozen of these sitting at home, no hospital is going to accept that as a donation. It's not as though allowing them to wear it is keeping that supply out of a local hospital because hospitals, that's not how they get their supplies. They have very specific approved suppliers who can get them this kind of equipment. And we know from stories we did early in the pandemic that when there was a real concern about the supply of PPE for hospitals, they were turning down offers of shipments of Chinese made KN95s because they were inferior. They just weren't good enough for the task, according to them. So we know that hospitals aren't going to accept a donation of somebody's home supply. Uh, so the idea that by saying you can't wear your own to school, you're somehow protecting the overall healthcare supply seems a bit dubious, unless the concern is just simply that that will increase demand uh, and the call for schools to supply them to teachers. I don't know. We didn't really get that answer. But in the end, where it really leaves us is, I guess, teachers have to decide, do I just wear them anyway and see if the school is going to enforce that? Are they going to go room by room and say, take that mask off or go home? I don't know. Or do they just say, well, the cotton masks seem like they did pretty well in this test. I'll, I'll wear those and hope for the best. What does the teachers union have to say about all this? I was a little surprised. I actually thought that they might have a little more interest. I, I emailed back and forth with Christina Bray, who's a spokesperson for WEAC, the Wisconsin Education Association Council, the state teachers union. And she, uh, granted, they have a lot on their plate too, I'm sure right now with so many questions going on about the resumption of school. She essentially said at one point to me, with the hundreds of other things I'm dealing with, I'll try to nail down someone on this. It, that was effectively her email back to me, which sounded like I really don't have time for this. Ultimately, what she said was, I wasn't able to find any guidance from anyone on how we feel about this particular issue. They just think schools shouldn't be open at all, at least not until certain benchmarks are met. And they don't believe those benchmarks have been met. So the state teachers union feels like teachers are being put unnecessarily in harm's way just by having school resume at all in person. Uh, so they didn't really weigh in on on this question of uh, N95 masks. And it may not be registering as widely because the only district we know of that has outright banned them is Whitefish Bay. I haven't heard of others that have. We do know that the guidance coming from the state health department is don't wear those. They're not appropriate for a school setting. You should really be wearing a cotton mask. To me, the big takeaway from your story is that as much as we can talk about following the science and, and what the science says, we're still going to have decisions coming down from public agencies, sometimes multiple public agencies, that aren't necessarily 
based on that science. Think about how much has happened since March and how many different bits of advice we've gotten. I mean, there was a time early on when we were told masks don't do any good. Masks don't work unless you're, uh, you know, they, they don't work to, uh, for the average person to wear. And then that completely flipped on its head when, when the scientists came out and said, no, in fact, wearing masks does help to prevent the spread because you, you cough, you sneeze, you talk, you sing, whatever it might be, you're preventing that spread to other people. So these things are changing so rapidly that I think catching up with what the best advice is and with what the science says is not always easy. And and I think even the teacher we spoke to for the story who asked not to be identified publicly because, of course, she still works for the Whitefish Bay School District. She said, I think that the school district and even the state probably mean well. I think they probably do mean to protect the supply that's there for nurses and healthcare workers. Her concern was people aren't taking the safety that teachers uh, or, or the, the, the risk teachers are taking seriously because they're viewing what doctors, nurses, and healthcare professionals are doing as a really serious concern. But for teachers, next best is okay. And I think that's really the nerve that this struck with some teachers, many of whom wouldn't talk to me at all for fear of losing their jobs or getting in trouble. But she's not alone in her concern that teachers are being put at risk. They're going to be in environments where we know they're going to be in the same place for a long period of time. Many of these school buildings are old. They don't have great ventilation systems. We know ventilation's an issue. Um, and we know that you know kids are not going to be easy to necessarily get to wear a mask over their mouth and nose at all times properly. So if you do this for a living, you're may, especially if you're older, if you have uh, underlying health conditions, this could be a really scary time to be going into the classroom. And so it's understandable that someone who's worried about their health or the health of the, the people who are around them, maybe they have a, an immunocompromised person at home. Um, it's understandable why there would be some real concern about, I want to wear the best protection I can. And to have your boss say you can't is, uh, is certainly for, for that person a big concern. We are seeing the scientific process play out in real time, right? Because this is how science works. It's not just someone comes up with a theory and it's true right from the get-go and it never changes. It evolves. But usually by the time the information gets its way to the public, it's already gone through that process for often several years. And now with COVID, we're seeing all of that happen and, and change minute by minute. So I can see why that would be really confusing for a lot of people when, when the reality is this actually is how the scientific process goes. Well, I had someone just tell me yesterday uh, uh, after seeing the story that, you know, that Duke study had all sorts of shortcomings. Well, they didn't do this and they didn't do that. Well, they only had one person do the speaking into each of the 14 different masks. They didn't test multiple people and they didn't test multiple versions of each mask. And there are so, and it's easy to look at that science and, and, and say it does have shortcomings. And if you read the, the published research, they acknowledge many shortcomings in that study. The trouble is there aren't other studies out there like it. So it's the science we have. And if someone picks up that, uh, you know, picks up the ball and runs with it and says, okay, we're going to expand on that. We're going to test you know, 10 versions of each one of these masks, and we're going to do it across, you know, a large number of people. And in, they instead of just having them speak, we're going to have them cough, we're going to have them sneeze, we're going to have them sing. You might get better data. You might get more data. You might get more information. 
what we know right now is this is the science we have to look at. The Duke University study broke some ground here because no one else studied it this way. And we know that others have spent time studying, for instance, how far can the particles go when you cough or sneeze? And, and Duke didn't look at that. They didn't do coughing and sneezing because the sort of distance of spread has been studied. This area of how good is the mask you're wearing, there's a real dearth of research. And, and I suspect we will learn more as time goes on if this pandemic continues to go on for any length of time. And, and right now, it doesn't look like there's any immediate end in sight. So we may learn more, but you're right, Amanda, the science changes so often that the advice changes along with it. And I think everyone's doing their best to try to keep up with what the science says and, and what we know to be true. In the end, we all have one goal. We want to get back to life as we once knew it. Whether that's ever possible, who knows right now, but we want to get this pandemic you know, on the downside and get back to living life the way we once were. In the meantime, we have to live with what's here. COVID-19 is real. School is back in session. And so how do we best protect the people who are back in school buildings? That's really the, the number one question. Yeah, and it's a question that depending on the school district, depending on where you go, it's going to have a whole bunch of different answers from people who are all invested in making sure they have the right answers, um, but it, you have the same scenario with with different people arriving at different conclusions, and that's what makes this such a, an emotional topic for a lot of people. And a topic we'll continue to be talking about because we're all now waiting to see what happens next as schools do start to open up, especially those with in-person classes. How long is this going to last? Will we be back in a fully virtual mode in just a, a few short weeks or months? Will people be starting to go back to more in-person classes? It's going to depend on what we see with, with numbers. So a lot more to discuss. And of course, we're going to continue talking about all of that and more on these twice-weekly episodes of Open Record as we cover not just the COVID-19 pandemic, the unrest that's been going on with police use of force and so much more. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, we really would like you to send us an email. Let us know. Send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. That's fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back on Thursday. Thursday.